This podcast may contain explicit language. Welcome to the greatest MCU movie of all time crossover podcast, the show that uses a unique grading style to redefine what the greatest MCU movies are. I'm Tom Duncan. And I'm Dana Duncan. No, wait, sorry. I was confused there. Thought we were on your pod. I'm Adam. Well, you are on my pod. Yeah, but I thought, you know, I thought I was Dana because we were doing the thing. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> Have a little fun, Tom. Come on. Come on. It's New Year's. We're rocking and rolling. Having a good time. If you want the first half of our discussion on the movie, you can subscribe to the Streaming Circuit podcast for that. But we're here now to apply the patent pending Stan Lee rubric started by my regular show, Greatest Movie of All Time podcast to determine the greatest MCU movie of all time. So this is the second film in Phase 2 and our eighth movie in this series, with Thor The Dark World, originally released on November 8th, 2013, directed by Alan Taylor, written by Christopher L. Yost, Christopher Marcus, and Stephen McFeely, music by Brian Tyler, starring Chris Hemsworth as Thor, Natalie Portman as Jane Foster, Tom Hiddleston as Loki, still in Skarsgård as Eric Selvig, Idris Elba as Heimdall, Christopher Eccleston as Malekith, Adewale Akinue Agbaji as Algrim Curse, slash curse, I should say, Kat Dennings as Darcy Lewis, Ray Stevenson as Volstag, Zachary Levi as Fandral, Tadanobu Asano as Hogan. What? <laughs> I respect the boldness of which you're just firing these names off. I practiced them ahead of time. Good for you. Jamie Alexander as Sif, Rene Russo as Friga, one that you have heavily criticized, and this aggression shall not stand, man. And Anthony Hopkins as Odin. All right, what was the budget for this film? Oof. Um, $175 million. Not bad. You're $5 million off. It's 170 I think we can count that one in the win column. Uh, yeah, I would say that's a win. Yeah, and it's cheap too. Jesus Christ, Indiana Jones. That's like a third of what Indiana Jones costs. So that's good. Box office and overall ranking in the MCU films. What do you think was its rank among all 33 MCU films? It's going to be pretty low, but I think I think recently some things have done worse. Cough, cough. Marvels. Marvels. I'm going to say this comes in at like 27. 21. Wow. Wow. Owen Wilson. Wow. wow. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, and the overall me. worldwide box office? I, I'm i going to guess $450 million. Ooh, way off. $644.8 million. Get out of here. Shut the front door. This movie made almost $700 million. No. How do you get from 644 to 700? It's That's not even a good rounding error. Sorry, I thought you said 684. Okay, well, 644 still... So nearly $650 million for this movie. Holy shit. That's a lot of money for this. I didn't. Wow. That's impressive. Yep. Absolutely. Critical scores. What do you think the Rotten Tomatoes score is on this one? Oh, not good. For shits and giggles, I believe that Iron Man 3 was like 68% last month. Uh, 50. Uh, well, uh. Wait, what's the rotten threshold? It's like 50% is is 
like at least somewhat fresh. Oh, really? Uh, I'm going to guess 59. All right. It was a 67. Wow. Doing better than I thought. Metacritic score, 54. And its letterbox score was a 2.2 out of 5. Yeah, that all checks out. Plot summary for this one. In Thor The Dark World, we open with Thor restoring order to the Nine Realms, but soon an ancient evil known as the Dark Elves, led by Malekith, Christopher Eccleston, awakens to plunge the universe into internal darkness. The plot takes a Shakespearean turn when Thor's love interest, Jane Foster, played by Natalie Portman, inadvertently becomes the vessel for a mysterious and powerful substance called the Aether. As Malekith seeks to harness the Aether's destructive force, Thor faces a moral dilemma between saving the universe and protecting the woman he loves. In the end, Thor The Dark World is a visually captivating exploration of heroism, sacrifice, and the enduring bonds of family. While it may not reach the narrative heights of its MCU's counterparts, the film successfully combines cosmic spectacle with intimate character moments, making it a worthy installment in the Thor saga. Worthy. I get it. Because he's worthy. You, you got that? I did. Do you write these or do you do you cop them? No, we've talked you... about this before. I just run them through chat GPT. Do you really? Yes. Wow, you scab. Wow. You're not supporting the actors. Wow. Or other writers. Fuck you. Did you know? The prologue was filmed in a blend of live action and CGI <laughs> as the Asgardian dark elf costumes were too constrictive in which to fight effectively and convincingly. There are only three characters played by human actors in the entire scene. Malekith, Curse, and Boar. All other characters are CGI. Makes you look at that scene differently, right? It does. Yeah. Did you know? Loki was originally not going to appear at all, and there was going to be a much greater focus on Malekith and the Dark Elves. But following his popularity in the Avengers, the script was rewritten to give him a big role. <laughs> Did you know? Because of the height difference between the two, a box and later a ramp had to be used in some of the close-up and kissing scenes between Natalie Portman and Chris Hemsworth. Natalie Portman is 5'3", while Hemsworth is 6'3". Did you know? Director Alan Taylor was unhappy with how the movie turned out. Although he had received full creative freedom while the movie was shot, he stated that he was locked out of the editing suite and the studio turned it into a different movie during post-production, a situation he hoped never to repeat and doesn't wish upon anybody else. Did you know? An abandoned plotline was to have Dr. Jane Foster turned into a villain by the Aether and destroy Svartalheim as a show of her power before going to Earth. It was dropped in favor of keeping the focus on Malekith and not introducing a third villain before the finale. If there's one thing that destroys comic book franchises faster, it's an overload of villains. So thank God Batman 2 is not going to have like <laughs> seven villains in it. True. I agree with you there. All right. So let's take our first break and we'll be right back. Before we jump back into the episode, next month we are discussing the ninth movie in our crossover podcast series with Captain America The Winter Soldier from 2014. Directed by Joe and Anthony Russo, the wins above replacement median line of directors of the MCU, according to one Andrew Corns. Written by Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely. Music by Henry Jackman. Starring Chris Evans, Samuel L. Jackson, Scarlett Johansson, Sebastian Stan, Anthony Mackie, and Kobe Smulders. You won't want to miss that one, so watch ahead of the show by searching the Real Good app to find where it's streaming for you. That's R-E-E-L-G. 
OOD. There we go. But we're back again to discuss Thor The Dark World. If you've never listened to the show before, that's okay. My regular show, Greatest Movie of All Time, uses our patent-pending Stanley rubric to great movies on their legacy, their impact and significance in the moment of their release, their novelty, their classicness, and their rewatchability. Plus, then we give all of you some points, too, by incorporating the audience scores from both Google and Rotten Tomato users. So, Adam, legacy is up first. Did you remember to split the category? Yes, as always, you know, we do this, you know, half of it's 10 points. The other half is another 10 points. Five and five. But, <laughs> yes, I know. So this, I like this movie. I want to defend this movie. The scores I'm about to give don't indicate that I am going to defend this movie. And I like this movie, unfortunately. I gave Industry a 1.5. I don't think it has a great legacy. Although the box office is pretty surprising to me. I will be, I'll be honest. I didn't think it made that much, but this movie, if you look at it just in terms of the MCU, you know, Natalie Portman didn't come back for another Thor movie. Uh, Skarsgård didn't come back for another Thor movie. Kat Dennings egregiously is, is left out of the other Thor movies. They went, I mean, they had to go into a completely different direction following this movie. They're like, people don't like this. We have to go into, we have to completely 180 this character. I, I don't think this really boosted the legacy of anybody in terms of industry. The director, I mean, I've never, I don't know if I've ever even seen another movie from him. That dude's probably broken um, from doing this. I just, uh, the, the villain for God's sakes, I don't think the villain has done much probably since this. Uh, I think this was, did not have a good legacy. <laughs> so what are your points? Well, 1.5 for industry for public. I went with a two. I think it's boosted a little from what we talked about on my pod with Endgame. I think the public likes it a little more now. It's a little remembered a little more fondly because of that great scene in Endgame with friggin' Thor, but uh, not awesome legacy for this movie. People, a lot of people don't like this one. So that's a 3.5 overall for you, right? Yes, sir. You seem unsure. No, that is. Yeah, that's fast math. Okay. <laughs> so I have a one for the industry. This has been deadpanned as possibly the worst of the Infinity Saga. I know it's got that reputation. I don't think that's exactly true. At this point, I'm willing to go that probably in The Incredible Hulk is the worst of all of these, but yeah, all right. And from the public, I'm going to give it a 1.5. I'm not sure that if it weren't for the Avengers Endgame scene that anyone would care or remember this movie other than Oh yeah, that was the movie where the ether was. But that's like the least important Infinity Stone that nobody remembers what it is other than it's the only one that's just not exactly in the shape of a stone. Somehow it's a liquid, but it's also a stone. And yeah, I still don't quite get that one. But anyway, I have a 2.5. It's not a stone. Um, it's more of a red sludge. So if you could stop saying that, that needs to be corrected. Sure. So that's a three average between the two of us. It's not good. Out of 10, it's not good. Well, did you really expect it to be? No, I was honestly saddened when I sat down to do these scores because I do like this movie, but I just like, I was like, oh man, I keep giving this thing low scores and it, it, it was disheartening. So for impact and significance, I went with an inverse. Most of the films that finish below Dark World are from the last like two or three years when we've talked about the superhero fatigue. 
Like, I want to say Shang-Chi is below this movie. I know Black Widow, The Marvels, Quantumania. All those movies are below this one. I think there's only like one major MCU film that actually finished. Excuse me, two. Guardians 3 and Multiverse of Madness are like the only two that eclipse this in total box office. So to build on the back of this and the fact that, again, this is kind of a transition film. They still weren't sure what to do with this property. It wasn't one that they were like investing huge resources, but they're like, oh, well, Thor was kind of good in Avengers. So and we got to bring back Loki. I don't know. It it didn't seem like they devoted their top resources to developing this one. So I have a one point five for the industry. And as far as the audience at the time, this was probably one of the least memorable movies that they had. I know that you might be able to convince me to go up to a two based on the strength of its box office at the time, but I think that's just kind of in the post-Avengers malaise more than it is, we want to see a Thor film. So I currently have a 2.5. All fair points. I went with a two for the industry. I do think Tom Hiddleston comes out well in this movie, and I think his. I think this is where he really starts to shine. I mean, I liked him in Thor and I liked him in Avengers, but I think this is really where he clicks in and is truly awesome as Loki. And I think this movie probably shifted their plans a little bit. I don't know if maybe he was as central. Obviously, you said he wasn't even supposed to be in this movie originally. Right, but I think it's on the backing of, oh, the Avengers did really well. He was the villain, but he wasn't exactly a villain. You could be somewhat empathetic toward him. So, yeah, there is some post-Avengers bump to the whole movie. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, there, there was some impact of this movie, but mostly on Loki. And also there was a negative impact of this movie, too, like I kind of touched on earlier. The MCU or Kevin Feige basically decided to take a drastic 180 shift with his character because it wasn't working. So this movie was thought of as so bad they need to completely revert the character. And it worked out really well because Ragnarok is one of the better MCU movies they've ever done an impact in and not a great way, but it did have an impact. Uh, the public, I'll, I, I'll give a three. I actually had a two, but I'm going to bump it up because the box office was so much more than I expected. I do think Shang-Chi probably would have made more than this in a, in a non-pandemic world. Cause that still came out when like most people still weren't going to the movies, but the other ones you're right. We're not going to come close. I don't think Eternals was going to make $700 million. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Um, but I, you know, I think the public after Endgame. I think the impact and significance for fans is more so now. I think people, a lot of people probably would have skipped it in their MCU rewatches if it wasn't for that. And they'd be like, I don't really need to watch that. It's Malekith, meh. But now they're like, well, I want to kind of see if I can see where Rocket's running around with the, you know, and and, and he's running from the Asgardian guards and, and everything. So I'll give a two and a three for a. That would be a five. There you go. I took math. I did math. Did you know? I did pre-calc. God, that was the hardest class I've ever taken. I've taken rocket science and pre-calc was the hardest class I've ever taken. Good Lord. Pre-calc wasn't that bad. Mm, yeah. Pre-calc wasn't that bad. Sorry, I just wanted to. I'm Tom. It was honors pre-calc I'm to think. there. I, I think statistics was the hardest class I took. Statistics wasn't that bad. You never took statistics. Bullshit, I didn't take statistics. Yes, I did. I took honors statistics. Honors. My friend with a capital H took AP English too, or app as Channing Tatum would say. <laughs> I took app English. So did I. And I passed the AP test. I don't know if I took the, I don't think I took the AP test. They didn't end up counting it for me anyway. So whatever. 
tough. <laughs> that sucks. Such is life. Anywho. I'm on the other side of it anyway, so. The other side of life? Unless they're going to count it for my law degree, I, I doubt that, you know, it's going to make much difference. So anyway, that's a 3.75 average between the two of us. Novelty. This feels pretty ordinary. If anything, it is so uncreative or ill-creative or, I guess, boring. So simple, so run-of-the-mill, so paint-by-numbers that it has a negative. Like, you could, in some theoretical world, we've never done it where, like, five is the starting point on novelty. We probably could, but... I have never quite gotten to that point, but this is who I, I don't, I don't think this is really much of anything. It feels very retread of tone from other movies. So it's borrowing where it's still applying it to the original Thor concepts and kind of the Shakespearean aspect. I have a 1.5. Oh, you could, I thought you were going to give it a negative number for a second. You concerned me. I was like, Oh, oh no, no, shit. no, 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 no. I was like, that's not that bad. No, no, no. It's not my Malekith minus 50%. No, we're not going into imaginary numbers anytime soon. Uh, Okay. I think all fair points. This movie is, uh, is, is pretty ordinary. I'll give you that. Uh, I gave it a four. I wanted to be nice. I gave it a four. I do think there's some interesting aspects with the Loki thing. Like I touched on on my pod where especially on the dark world where like they're playing on our insecurities with Loki. We we just, we feel in our bones, he's going to be bad. And so when he does the turn, we believe it, but then it was actually a fake turn. And so we were faked out even more. And then he dies, which really crushed us. And then he faked us out again. And then he goes bad again. And I, and I I think that's interesting. And that's kind of novel and how they, how they played with our emotions there. Introduced an infinity stone. And I, I believe, uh, you know, even though it's not the first one in the series canonically, it's the first one I believe that they wrote, like knowing what they were doing, because they because they talked about how they did. Marcus McFeely did not know the Tesseract was an Infinity Stone when they wrote First Avenger. They just retconned it to be that. This was the first one I believe they wrote knowing what they're doing and that it's an Infinity Stone and we're going to Thanos. Um, so I'll give them a little credit for that, uh, for the Red Sludge. Um, so I gave it a four. Not great, but I wanted to be nice. Yeah, I know I can go like really hard on all of these films in one reaction or the other because you're going to soft pedal it somewhere. I just don't want it to be below Hulk. And that was kind of that kind of went into my thought process as well. I was like, I need to goose these a little bit. So well, it's why didn't you Hulk. do that last month when you got th- or Iron Man three below Iron Man two? Iron Man three. Oh, no, below excuse Iron me. Man 2? No, no, no. I'm sorry. It, it's not. You got it below Captain America, the first Avenger. Oh, yeah. Well. I think those are pretty even. I mean, I prefer Iron Man 3, but I, I understand why First Avenger. I'm okay with that being ahead of it. I'm not okay with Hulk being ahead of this. I'm not okay with Hulk being ahead of anything. It's not. Yeah, well, we're going to hopefully keep it that way. we got two categories left. Hopefully, we, let's keep it that way. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. We have three categories left. What are you talking about? Oh, my God. We have three categories left? Hold on a second. I only have I, I have two left on my thing. So, rut row raggy. Are you forgetting the sixth category? I mean, I I would have to say yes at this point. I have two things left. I have classicness and rewatchability. Come on. What am I missing? What am I missing? What am I missing? Audience score. Well, that okay. Well, that's not me. <laughs> I was like, have I been doing this wrong for 13 podcasts now? Like, what are we doing? All right. We'll take another quick break and we'll be right back. 
Before we jump back into the episode, and before we get to the Stanley rubric in a minute, if you're ever curious about the rankings for each film we've covered on the greatest MCU movies of all time list, there's a link in the episode description of every episode of this show, or you can go to ronnieduncanstudios.com backslash podcast and find it as one of the top entries on the greatest movie of all time podcast show page. That has all the grades we've done so far for the MCU movies we've graded, and we continue to add more each month. Make sure to check that out as we go and follow along. All right. Of the two categories remaining on your list, before we get to that mystery sixth category, classicness is up next. Do you want to go first or second? Yeah, sure, I'll go first. I gave it a five. I gave it run in the mill. I I start at seven. That's typically my baseline for these, and I move up or down. I think this moves up a little bit with the end game stuff. It makes it a little better, uh, a little more classic. I do think this is one of the better Tom Hiddleston performances in the MCU as Loki, especially in the movies. The show is obviously or is his best performances, but and I, and again, I think this is the second best of the four Thor movies. I know I'm in a very very small minority in that, but um, it's my second favorite, so I, I give it a five, a sheepish five. Ooh. You're going to re- be shocked by my number. Are you going to say like an eight? Exactly. You did not give this an eight. No, you didn't. I gave it an eight. No, you didn't. What? Yes. All right. Oh, I'm, wow. I'm floored. Okay. We're talking about Thor the Dark World, right? Did I just have a stroke? So remember that my baseline is like a seven, and then you can either move up or down past that. The only way to move up is, is either to be ahead of your time, come back in some way, wrap around, have some value. But the way to move down is usually things do not age well over time. I would say this movie is one of the rare examples where because it comes back later in the series, it has an important moment. It has some cathartic history with coming back to Frigga. Yes, Frigga. That it shows some level of classicness in that. So if... There's nothing that really brings it down. There's nothing ill classic about the movie other than it's just basic and it's kind of boring, which I'll get to for the rewatchability score more than the classicness. I take the seven and I move it up a point to my eight. Wow. Kieran is just screaming right now. He's throwing shit. He's so mad at your reasoning right there. Again, he has to be listening first. It's a different movie. It doesn't count for this movie. I can hear people just screaming at you for that, but I appreciate the take. I I am floored. I am stunned. All right. We beat Hulk. I'm confident and we're done. We've already done it. We've beaten Hulk. I feel good about that. So we have a 6.5 average between the two of us for that category. Now, rewatchability. The likelihood that I would put this on is a one because I would only wow. put it on if I'm doing like a true marathon watch or we're like doing this for the pod or something else. I am not going out of my way to see this. In fact, I pretty much just skip over this. If I'm just doing kind of a basic rewatch, I just hit like the highlight ones or the ones that get me somewhere between phase one to phase three. Like I can skip over this one. It's not important enough that I feel like I'm missing anything by skipping over it because I know enough of the beats and the big plot points to basically understand where it gets me to going. My likelihood to leave it on, even though it doesn't suck, it's still kind of a boring movie. So I'm going to give it a 1.5. I have a 2.5. What's Kieran's test again? Can you remind me of what Kieran's test is? So what is your likelihood to put it on? Five points. So the scale of one to five. What is your likelihood to leave it on the other five points? Leaving it on. So you mean like 
Like, I like turn once it on, it's on, like, if you off. just stumble on it on cable, what's the likelihood that you just kind of like sit there and you're like, yeah, I'll watch this. Right. OK, gotcha. That's what I was thinking it was. OK, so, you know, me. Like, I do would a you different see it through now. to completion? <laughs> I'm all about seeing things through to completion. Oh, we know you, you can DM me we on, know. On, on Twitter or X, whatever your social pronouns are. Hey, ladies. <laughs> so I have a, I use a different test, which I came up with on the fly, which I was pretty impressed with for the Zodiac pod for the rewatchability. I, do, I don't acknowledge Karen's test. I, I acknowledge my test, the piss test, which is if you have to get up to go to the bathroom, are you pausing it or are you just mm, letting it go? Because you don't because you don't care that much about it. I think that's a fair test. So for that one. For, for those five points and see now, see, I figured out legacy and impact significance. I've, I've mastered that we split it in two. I have not mastered that we split this in two. Full disclosure. I'm still working on you that. You don't have Some, to split into it. It's just something I do. Someday I'll get this pod. I'll understand it, but we're not there yet. <laughs> you just have to think like a lawyer. Sure. So I'll give it a one for my, for my piss test. I, I, I wouldn't pause it. I'll be honest. there's no point in this movie where I would pause it. Maybe the, maybe the Viking funeral, maybe, maybe, but probably not for putting it on on my own volition. Woof. Um, I'll give it a three. I, I probably wouldn't, but I certainly would never skip it in a, an MCU rewatch. It is not one I would skip. I would skip the Hulk. I would absolutely watch this. So I, and the end game thing, Definitely boosts it for me. And I actually have a question for you. I'm going to pull up my podcast here kind of and have a question for you. Because we, we touched on it in mine, or I did, where I was like... Where does it even... count in the Star Wars saga? Yeah. Ooh, Star Wars? Woof. I don't know. I don't like a lot of Star Wars movies. I'll be honest. That's a very hot and cold franchise for me. Probably fifth, I would say. I don't know. Uh, but I talked about how Thor... Does he like his mom? Does he? Like, he doesn't seem to show much emotion. The first time any character brings it up, he's like, I don't, I don't really, we don't need to talk about it. We're fine. Real, real uh, toxic masculinity there. D- does the endgame scene, it's very emotional when he talks to his mom. D- do you think there should have been a scene in that where Loki talked to his mom? Because Loki and Frigga have a much stronger connection than Thor and Frigga. And I understand why it's Thor talking to her. I get it. But... Do you think it, it would have worked if they had if there was even a moment like we see Frigga talking to Loki and then Thor shows up or, or something? Do you think that would work or am I am I off? So, OK, the way Endgame is written, you already have the rather, let's say, sacrificial death of Loki in Infinity War. And he kind of sort of pops up in Endgame. And that begets his character in the TV series. I think it would be a little bit overkill to give him that same moment when you really need Thor to have the catharsis because he's fat Thor by that point. You'd really have to kind of retcon or shoehorn in too many other things, even though I get what your point is. It just, I don't know if it would fit with where those characters were going at that one point in time. Yeah, I don't know how you'd make it work, but I I was just thinking... I, I think that would have probably broken me more is seeing him because he, he really did love Frigga. Like that was his one. Sure. Yeah. I understand, again, what you're trying to point out. But narratively, you're taking a character that had been through all of that stuff that would have a more complete cathartic moment who was already dead. And you don't have a character who at the end of the original Avengers and then as he appears in Endgame 
who has all of that history built up through Ragnarok and through Dark World, where you have that shared camaraderie, where he has those extra scars and the trauma and everything else that he's gone through, that would make sense for him to just have that. Otherwise, you're just having it for the sake of having it. I know you might want it, and maybe there's a way to produce that moment yet, but I think the character got his catharsis at the end of his TV series, and we didn't necessarily need that otherwise. True. So that's a 3.25 average between the two of us. All right. Audience score for this one, we had an 82% for Google users and a 75% for Rotten Tomato users, giving us a 7.85 average between the two. So to recap the categories, we have a 3 for Legacy, a 3.75 for Impact and Significance, a 2.75 for Novelty, a 6.5 for Classicness, a 3.25 for rewatchability and a 7.85 for audience score, giving us a final total of 27.1. And where do you think that place is on the list? This is number eight. It is number seven. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's what, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, in between the original eight. Thor and the incredible Hulk. Oh man. It couldn't squeak out Thor. That's too bad. Uh, not really even that close. Uh, it's about four points off. Really? More than four points off. Almost five points off. Right now, that makes the list currently The Avengers 1, Iron Man 2, Captain America the First Avenger 3, Iron Man 3 at number 4, Iron Man 2 at number 5, Thor at number 6, Thor the Dark World at number 7, and The Incredible Hulk at dead last. Yeesh. How close was Hulk and Thor? This one, how close was it? So we have a 27.1 for the Dark World, and Hulk is 24.55. Okay. All right, some breathing room. All right, we'll see. We'll see if Black Widow can sneak in there. Yeah, just enough space that we can fit Black Widow, Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi's uh, not Mania. Shang-Chi, why do you hate Shang-Chi so much? God. Oh, it's, that it's third act near is that movie. awful. And the CGI dragon makes absolutely no sense. I agree the third act isn't great, but Shang-Chi is nowhere near the Incredible Hulk. Come on. Come on. The bus fight Like, alone. give me the first half of that movie? Fine. But that last yeah. act, just like, it, it took me completely out of the movie. And the choreography of those fight scenes is awful. No, oh, wait a second. Which fight scenes? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Just about all of them. Except for, the, like, the bus. All of them? Like, the bus is the In only the good one. Oh, that's a bad thing. Come on. The the building? The fight on the on the scaffolding? Come on. No, that's that's awful. Like, oh, wow. The gorgeous fight in the beginning between what's his name and what's her name. <laughs> I know this movie so well. Um, the beginning, the flashback in the they're in the magical forest or whatever. And come on. Bad fight scenes. Oof, that's bad choreography. Jackie Chan's going to kick your ass. That's not a uh, come on. Yeah, Jackie Chan could kick its ass. Jackie Chan made all that shit better like 20 years beforehand. Yeah, well, it's Jackie freaking Chan. Of course, of course, he was amazing. By the way, I watched Kung Rush Fu. Hour for 1998, and there may be a surprise nomination somewhere. Interesting. Interesting. Wow, the Shang-Chi hate is unreal right now. I enjoy the movie. I like Shang-Chi. I thought it was mediocre. I'm excited for the second one, if they ever make one. I don't know. I don't know. Simo Liu is uh, at least somewhat of a star at this point. 
Well, right now he's and recovering. Who else a- do they have to like promote at this point with Chadwick Boseman dead and Tom Holland like taking a break from acting? He's not taking a break from acting. No, he I- just got done with his break from acting. Well, well, well seemingly was recovering. He tore his Achilles, so he's recovering from that currently. Well, Tom Holland, I think they're just working on the contract. I think I we're going to have a Spider-Man 4, I would bet, before the end of... Mm, uh, before whatever the next event okay over under midway point of 2027 so are we gonna not 2027 are we gonna have a new spider-man film by the time we get to july 1st 2026 um i don't know it all just depends on what the release date and what they want if they want to have it a christmas release again which i would imagine they probably do then i would say no because i don't think it'll be ready 2025 christmas if they want a summer release date, then yes, I think they would hit that date. But I imagine it'll probably be Christmas 2026 would be my bet. Now, the more important question, where does Spider-Man fit in in the Thin Man series? I have not seen any of those movies, so uh, I'll say number one. Neither have I, but that's okay. Because I'm sure it'll be number one. Sorry, Thin Man fans. You can at me if you'd like. I can take it. But uh, I think Spidey beats them all. How many are there? I don't even know. Is it a horror franchise? I don't even know what it is. No, it's like a mid-30s kind of slight detective comedy franchise with William Powell. 1930s? Yes, 1930s. Like World War II 1930s? Yeah, I haven't seen those uh, No, World War II only started in 1939, and most of it happened in the 1940s there, bud. When did it start? 1939. Oh, 1939, which is in what decade? The 1930s, like I said. Oh, and okay. again, the majority of it happened in 1940s. Well, that's from fine. 40 to 45. That's fine. Good for the 40s. It started in the 30s. Like I said, overruled. Erroneous. Erroneous. Anyway. Coming at me with your history facts. Come on, get out of here. Get out of here. Tell me World War II didn't start in the 1930s. What are you talking about? I didn't say the World War II didn't start in the 1930s. You just said World War II 1930s. I said the majority of it happened in the 1940s, which is true. I, America I was not even in the war until the 1940s. So for most people listening to this podcast, basically you're incorrect. I think most people listening to this podcast don't give a shit about the Thin Man series and when it was released. Well, that's true. People needed something to watch during World War II. They're like, let's pop on the Thin Man while we rest. <laughs> they didn't know. have VCRs. At Shrewd Farms, they did. That was Civil War. Never mind. Different war. <laughs> I thinking that was World War II. In Shrewd Farms. They're, oh div- they're separated by about 80 years of history there, bud. Ah, potato. That's the same difference between us and what the World War II is now. Yeah. Well, Shrewd Farms. Where I can people Shrewd. find part one of this show? You can head over uh, to the 1930s and check us out on Spotify, uh, the Streaming Circuit podcast. We do a lot of great stuff. We do movie madness brackets uh, that Tom will be on next year for one. I'm super excited for the Steven Spielberg madness. That'll be a lot of fun. And we do some other ones. We got 2023 movie madness coming out in about a month from when this releases. We have Christmas movie madness. I know Christmas is in the rearview mirror now, and probably some of you are shuddering at just me mentioning Christmas because you're like, it's 11 months away. Stop it. Well, it's actually just happened in my time, uh, in my timeline. So uh, you can check it out if you like Christmas movies. Um, We do all that stuff. And so uh, follow us on Twitter or X, whatever your social pronouns are, at the Circuitverse, at Rev Almanac, another podcast we're doing that Tom will be on soon when you listen to this, I think. Time is a construct. I don't know. 
but Tom is going to be on it for 1998. We redo the Oscars. We have a lot of fun with it. So go follow us there. The Revisionist's Almanac, not the Revolutionist's Almanac, um, which I always want to say. It's Revisionist's Almanac on Spotify, at Rev Almanac on Twitter. Excellent. So that's going to do it for us this month. Thank you for listening. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Next month, we are discussing the ninth movie in our crossover podcast series with Captain America, The Winter Soldier from 2014. Directed by Joe and Anthony Russo, written by Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, music by Henry Jackman, starring Chris Evans, Samuel L. Jackson, Scarlett Johansson, Sebastian Stan, Anthony Mackie, and Kobe Smulders. You won't want to miss that one, so watch ahead of the show by searching the Real Good app to find where it's streaming for you. That's R-E-E-L-G-O-O-D. Please like, follow, rate, and review, or whatever on whichever platform you have so that more can join in on our fun. You can also email the show at thenewronnydunkinstudios.com or at greatestalltimemoviepodcast at gmail.com. Find our new Facebook page on your Greatest Movie of All Time podcast, or find us on YouTube, Instagram, X, Letterboxd, or TikTok at the handle at Podcast. The Greatest Marvel Movie of All Time is a joint production of Ryan Duncan Studios and The Streaming Circuit. This show is mixed, edited, and written by Thomas Duncan. Our music is thanks to Purple Planet Music. Our technical provider and distributor is Captivate FM.